there it is, ladies and gents. Woo! Ready to rock and roll. Man, I, I got to tell you guys, my daughter, she's all about the horse life. And, uh, you know, she's she doesn't even know yet, but I'm going to tell her to listen to this in replay. So if horses are your thing, this is the business that you want. Plus, if you're in San Diego, we're just about to have the uh, the horse races open up here in a couple weeks. So this episode is for you, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Let's do this thing. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It could be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Plus. Oh, all right, ladies and gents, who do we got on the show today? First of all, I'm excited for today's episode because when podcasters get together, you know it's going to be high energy and fun. And today's guest comes to us from the equestrian industry, a.k.a. She's in the horse business, ladies and gentlemen. So settle up as we go on a ride to learn what it takes to use your relationships and networking skills to grow a business and a podcast in the equestrian industry. Let's welcome to the show from Lead Lion Podcast, Mandy Flanders. All right, Mandy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is such a good time. Okay, okay. First, before we even get into the horse thing, uh, all that stuff, why a podcast? Like, you know, I always love to ask fellow podcasters, how'd you get into it? And how's it going? Well, I've been podcasting since March of 2021. So it's been uh, a little over a year, heading into a year and a half. And, you know, I was in the events industry actually for years and I still am now. But when COVID shut everything down, I had a lot of time on my hands. I couldn't work events because they were all canceled. So I had to look for something else to fall back on. And I've been in the horse world for many, many years. And I said, all right, well, I've got a lot of time, so I'm going to start a podcast. And I think a lot of people did that during the pandemic. So I'm sure some people have fallen off already because they realized how much work it was. But for me, I love it. It's so much fun. What's it What's it done for you as far as your business, your exposure, your brand? What, what has podcasting done for you? I always say that podcasting has put me back on the map, uh, you know, being out of the horse world for a little bit because I was doing so much in the events industry. I've just been out of touch with my audience for a while. So starting a podcast really just put my name back out there and being able to put produce that content in a way that really just gets so personal with listeners because you're you're right there. They're hearing you on their ears. They are hearing your voice. They're getting to know you. It really does just build that additional sense of legitimacy, but also builds those relationships with your audience as well. Totally does. I love the the whole idea of uh, it brought me back into the game. I think it it gave me a voice. It gave me the ability to figure out who I was, who I'm speaking to, what my messaging is, the confidence to have my voice, uh, to hear my own voice, to have my own image in a camera. Like it does all those great things. Let's talk about the actual industry you're in. So simply put, what do you do? 
<laughs> I love that. Well, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, before I was in the events industry, I, I've had a horse for years. So when I was about 16 years old, instead of getting a car for my 16th birthday, I got a horse. Now, I will say not every 16 year old is out getting cars anyways, but you know, that's when you turn, you turn 16, you get your driver's license. So when you think of a big gift that your parents might give you, you think of a car. Well, I got a horse. <laughs> so, so instead I, of a Mustang, you got a Mustang. Essentially. Yes. A painted Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> I have a paint horse. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. But, uh, so I've, I've had a horse since I was super young. I have the same horse actually that I got for my 16th birthday. Horses do stick around for a while. So if you take good care of them, they live for a long time. So I've got the same horse I got when I was 16 and I've always had a passion to make money doing what I love. And I always wanted to learn how to monetize something in the horse world, but I wasn't really sure what that was. So I played around with a lot of different things over the years. Nothing really stuck. Never, Nothing ever really got monetized to the sense where it could pay my bills. So that's why I went off into the events world. But like I said, when that went away in 2020, I was like, all right, I have a lot more experience in marketing, in business, in hosting events, putting people together, um, building relationships. So I took all of that experience and poured it into the horse industry. And now at the lead line, I focus on hosting networking events, retreats, and helping business owners really learn how to market and promote their business, but specifically horse industry people. All right, so you're putting together networking events and you're getting people in the industry together, but like I want to even get even more narrow, more niched. Um, well, Joker will probably say it best. If you're good at something, never do it for free. What is it that people pay you to do? <laughs> well, there's there's many different facets to what I do with the lead line. So I think with entrepreneurs, you can definitely have your hands in a lot of different pots. I'm Ooh, sure yeah. you know that also. And so with the lead line, I monetize through podcast advertising, through sponsorships. And by, by getting sponsors at my networking events, people not only pay to come to my networking events, but they're also paying, uh, sponsors are also paying to be part of those events. And one thing I started doing during the pandemic was I took the concept of creating an in-person networking event, but I took it virtually. So before I ever started doing the live networking, I actually did a year, once a month, I hosted um, virtual networking events on Zoom. And the first time I did this, I said, well, I don't know if it's going to stick, but let's all get together. I took everybody from my Facebook group for the lead line. And I said, we're going to get together and network on Zoom and see how it goes. And it was so popular that I did it the next month. And then I did it the next month. And I, I had about a year of those behind my belt before I actually hosted an in-person event the following year. Well, that's good. That's okay. So first of all, getting people to hop on a Zoom and like work together, that's already difficult enough. And you got it to the point where it was fun to do, where people continued to want to come back over and over again and even meet in person. What was some of the secrets? What did you do to make a Zoom call fun? Well, I mix up the sessions so they're a little bit different every time. I kind of had a standard format that I went with and the standard format was all right, we're all going to jump on. And for about a minute, each person gets a turn to tell us who they are, where they're from and what they do. Right. So it's essentially their like 60 second elevator pitch. And then once everyone's done introducing themselves, we go into essentially like a mastermind or a topic discussion where we all talk about an interesting topic that's related to running a horse business. And I think that was the key, because if you show up once a month, once you get the same people in the room, 
the networking portion, y'all know each other. So there's not as much value to doing that every single month with the same group of people. But I think each month, not only did it attract new new attendees each time, but we would also change the topic every month. And then going back to the monetization, I actually, about two months in, started selling sponsorships on the Zoom calls. So I was oh, making money cool. doing that too. Nice, nice. And, and that's the thing about doing events like this or hosting podcasts like this. You start to develop an audience. You start to develop uh, relationships with people who want to get in front of your audiences. And you find different ways that you didn't know were available to start monetizing your your passion, to start making money doing the things you love to do. So when you started to kind of narrow in on what you were going to do in the equestrian industry, how you were going to run your podcast, you started making some money. You were obviously targeting a specific type of client. So I am looking for qualities beyond the physical. Who's that ideal client? I really bring in and attract a lot of the, I would say, small business owners in the equestrian industry. So the horse industry is huge. A lot of people, when you think of horses, like you mentioned in the very beginning, they think of horse racing. Well, that's like its own world all in and of itself. Like I'm not out attracting people that are racing, you know, racehorse owners. They're they're a different breed, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so I'm really, really focusing on entrepreneurs who are in the startup phase of running a new equestrian business. And just to name a few types of entrepreneurs that I see most commonly in my audience, we have a lot of uh, photographers equine massage therapists, we have business coaches. So a lot of like service-based businesses are, you know, in that audience, but they're the ones I'm focusing on, the ones that really want to, that have those goals, that really want to learn how to make money doing what they love and are looking for a better way to do that. Breaking into any industry or coming back in your case into an industry has got to be difficult enough just doing it, period, right? A lot of entrepreneurs don't know what to do to get their message out. How did you start to acquire these customers? How did you start to acquire your following? Thanks, Leo. <laughs> you know, I have to say one of the best methods that I've used today is Instagram. And you know, there's always a lot of question around, all right, well, how do I promote my business? How do I use social media? And I have to say that some of the best relationships that I've built with both listeners and people that I've done work with and business with sponsors, it's through talking to them on Instagram. And I don't mean just posting all the time. I mean, actually commenting on other people's posts, hitting them up in their DMs and saying, hey, I really like what you do. I'd love to learn more. And sometimes I'll even invite them to one of the virtual networking events if it seems appropriate in the moment, too. And I've, I've brought in a lot of people that way as well, just into those Zoom calls. That makes a huge difference. I think uh, people don't quite understand it's like a two-way sword. Like the more you give, the more you're going to get. So you got to get out there. And in that social media space, it's not just clicking the little like or clicking the little heart. It's actually taking the time to maybe read the post, scroll through some pictures, and then leave some sort of engaging comment. Here's a secret people don't understand about Instagram. The moment you engage with somebody and you have a, a, an instant communication with them, whether it's a DM or a comment and they like that comment on your, on your thread, all of a sudden when they open up the app the next time, guess whose stuff they're gonna see first? They're gonna see your stuff first. Instagram wants you to engage. And if you're engaging back and forth with somebody, then they think, hey, this is somebody who this person wants to talk to. This is how you get your message out there. You have to be the proactive one, not the reactive one. Uh, having a podcast, you have all kinds of 
long form pieces of content. What do you do with that? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of long form content. I think you have to really mix up your posts when it comes to sharing on Instagram and see what works the best for your audience. You can kind of tell the difference when someone is just typing a really long description <laughs> in a mm -hmm. photo post and you're like, okay, well, that sounds very salesy. You can tell when it's it's just hard written copy, when it doesn't sound authentic and you can tell they're trying to sell something. You can tell the difference between that and when someone is actually authentically writing a piece from their heart, something that's meaningful to them, and they're sharing that on social media. So I usually I do a combination of different types of content on Instagram, and you should do that on any platform anyway. Mix up your content, see what works the best. And when it comes to just hitting that like button on the posts, you can like strike. I call it like strike. You can like strike someone as much as you want, but unless you're leaving that engaging comment or DMing them or something that's actually going to be noticeable, you can like stuff all day and it's not necessarily going to get any extra eyes on your content. I'm, I'm a fan of the extra eyes, the attention. I mean, that's really what it comes down to for any of you who are in business. Your job, first and foremost, is to grab attention. And then it's to direct them into whatever you're doing, your sales funnel or your webinars or whatever it is. But you got to have their attention first and foremost. Uh, I, one of the things I've been doing is, especially on places that allow me to put a picture instead of or, or in place of um comments. For example, Instagram, you can only put text, but on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok. I mean, there's a lot of different places, not TikTok, a lot of other places where you can put a comment as a picture. And so I created a bunch of like meme stuff. I took pictures of myself uh, with like no background, removed the background in different like poses. And I use that to create fun pieces of content so that it's not just me leaving a, a regular comment. It's me essentially living like a postcard. It's me saying something cool, like boom, or yes, that's awesome, or whatever it is. But now everybody who's in that feed, not only am I engaging with the person who created the post, the people who are looking at the comments, especially if the post is engaging, now see my face and they're like, I've seen that guy before. I've seen that face before. Because I'm constantly in the same ecosystem or the same circle that they're seeing me in because that's who we are. But now they're seeing a face. They're putting a face to an image. You're doing some cool stuff on Instagram. You, you, how are you creating your little pieces of content here and there? Are there any secrets you're using to kind of clip down or, or create your content? Yeah, I think I started out with just the generic, you know, the photo post that everybody does on Instagram. And then I was really hearing a lot about how Reels have just really done wonders for a lot of the people that are using Instagram on a regular basis and how it's getting so many more eyes on their content. So I didn't know how to do Reels up until I want to say earlier this year. I didn't jump on the Reel bandwagon immediately because for me, I don't want to spread myself too thin and feel overwhelmed by learning new things. So I kind of have to step into them when I'm ready. So when I was ready, I experimented with a reel. It got a bunch of views and I was like, oh, well, that seemed to work out well. And that reel wasn't anything special. So let me keep trying. I won't, I'll say this. I'm not excessively posting reels. If I did, I probably would have even more followers and engagement than I actually do. But do what you can from the beginning. That's really my biggest tip for people is do what you can with your social media. If you don't feel like you can tackle all the things, all the platforms, all the features, then don't. Just focus in one area until you get really good at it and then add something new on. So for me, I was doing really well with the, just the, the generic photo posts. And then when I was ready, I added in the reels. And that's really where I've settled in comfortably so far um, between that and engaging with people on Instagram. That's definitely made a big difference too. 
The reels are huge. I'm, I'm with you. I hadn't done reels for a while and then I tested it. And I was like, what? This is awesome. Now, let me tell you another little secret I've learned that you can do. Instagram Reels has this really cool caption feature. It allows you to put like these big, bold uh, captions on there. And I love using that because most of the time when I'm scrolling through my stuff, it's not even no sounds on. I'm just reading the captions anyways. Before you put a sound to it, before you do anything else, so you record your reel, you hit the captions, you can download that piece of content directly to your phone and then you have the video with the captions that you can use for YouTube shorts, you can use for TikToks, and you can use for your Facebook reel. So it gives you the opportunity to move easily across multiple platforms with that one piece of content. You gotta add the music and the captions yourself for each platform, but at least you have a piece of content that can move across across platforms. Now, me personally, Reels are doing great anywhere, you know, I'll post one and it gets anywhere from like 1600 to like 11,000 views, depending on what the the content piece is. And then I use the same short and it goes anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred to maybe a thousand views as a short. So it gives you more exposure, putting yourself where other people are. You've been doing that with podcasts. I mean, tell me how you've improved as far as your reach now that you have more distribution. Oh, my reach has definitely gone up. I've been checking my insights on Instagram consistently. So I've seen the reach going up. And what's crazy is you really don't have to overthink it. Like it can be very simple. Like you've said, I have reels that are, oh, I'll say this. My reels that have performed the best aren't the ones with my face in them. They're ones (laughs) of horses. So it's crazy. When I do a reel with a horse, I'm like, come on, my horse got way more views than me. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it's it's so funny how that works. So you have to experiment with the different types of content within your reels and see what's working the best. And it's not just about the views either. Like the ones with the horses, I, I'll say, I don't believe that all of those are translating to followers or to listeners of the podcast. I think it's anyone that has looked at horses in their feed will see mine. But, you know, the podcast is specific to horse business owners. So it's it's a niche within, the, within a niche. But it definitely helps to have those extra eyes because you never know who you're going to hit when all of those extra eyes are finding your videos. But it's about building your brand, right? I mean, here's at the end of the day, when people see you at an event, they think horses, right? Like they think equestrian, they think business owner in the horse space. Like that's what you're creating. You didn't create, you know, mother, wife, or whatever else that you're posting on, on Instagram. That's not the brand that you're trying to focus on. You're focusing on creating this thing for you. Um, I wanted to ask you about the long tail effect. Cause I know now four years ago when we started the podcast, you could Google my name and pff, I don't know, a bunch of like one or two things would come up and everything else is something else. Now you Google my name or you get Google the podcast and it's page after page after page after page of me controlling what my brand is. You've been doing this for a couple of years for a little over a year now. How has your brand affected, been affected either in searchability or when you go to events that you don't put together, obviously, like what is that, uh, what has that brand done for you? It's done a lot. And I've heard this from people that are listening to the podcast or that know what I'm doing. And they've said, Mandy, you look like you've been around for a long time based on everything that I'm seeing from you, which is a really great piece of feedback to have. Like people see me as established as someone who's an authority in my field and someone that's been doing this for a long time. 
And sometimes even I forget how new I am at it because I've been in horses for so long, but the lead line is not that old. It's it's a fairly new podcast and it does take a few years to really get that ball rolling sometimes. So I'm sure even looking back a couple of years from now, I'll, I'll be like, wow, you know, a lot has changed even in a couple of years because it's so new already. But the doors it has opened have been incredible. I've actually been booking speaking opportunities now as a result of having the podcast and having the audience. And it's really been incredible seeing what doors have been opened. What about your confidence? Like, I know I'm a teacher, so I stand up in front of kids and talk all day long, but to stand up in front of peers or other business owners, it could be very intimidating to stand up as an expert in your industry. But the podcast has given me a lot of confidence in, in just what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it and all, you know, everything like that. What's your confidence level like now after having a podcast for over a year? It's definitely been boosted and I've learned a lot about how I speak and how I talk and listening to myself back all the time. I mean, I've heard you say it, like listening to yourself. It's like, oh, you don't want to do it, but you have to when you're a podcaster. You have to, if you want to produce a good podcast, you have to listen to yourself back and see where you can make those improvements. And I still know that I use some filler words here and there, but that's, that's also kind of how I talk. So, exactly. you know, some of that, some of that stays in. You want a podcast to feel natural and to, to feel like an actual conversation. So you don't want to over edit it, but you definitely become more aware of things that you say. I learned that the word so was a huge filler word for me. I used so and now like all the time in my podcast. So I've become a lot more aware of using those words in general conversation. Yeah, it, it really works. Like you start seeing those mistakes over and over again. You hear them and you can't go back and correct them. They're already out there on the interwebs, right? And so we're like, ooh, I don't like the way it sounds. I better fix it going forward. And that's the that's a great thing about hearing yourself. You can always, you know, it, it's progress. There's never going to be the perfect show, uh, but you're always consistently getting better. So in getting better means we find some of those flaws. You mentioned, you know, fixing the way you speak and your filler words and like that. What about in the business of your podcast and, and in the equestrian industry? What are some of the things that you're currently struggling with and you're working to overcome? I think my biggest thing is honing in on exactly where I want to focus my most amount of time that it's been hard for me to let go of everything that I've worked on. I just had a call with my podcast editor to try to hand more tasks over to her because I just know that I can't continue to do all of the work myself with everything that I have going on. So for me, one of my big struggles is determining exactly what needs to get outsourced and what I need to keep in my own wheelhouse. And I know that can definitely be a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs because you're used to the DIY mindset. You're used to thinking, I don't have any money right now. I'm just getting started. So I have to do everything myself. But in the big picture, sometimes that can actually do harm to you because you're spending so much time on the mundane tasks that you're not actually focusing your efforts on what you're the best at that's going to make you the most money. Mm, that's so tough. What are, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. What are, some of those mundane tasks. I mean, you said the editing stuff for your podcast, but what are some of the, the tasks that keep you busy and not really productive? Like I, I know for me, it could be something as, as simple as I'm spending extra time journaling when I don't really need a journal, but you know what, I'd rather do that. Or even sometimes it could be something as simple as, I, I, I mean, you know what, I'm gonna go wash the dishes or I'm gonna go clean the bathroom. What is it that you're trying to avoid and doing other things to avoid the one thing you know is gonna make you successful? 
Yeah. Well, I I recently finally like gave up the bookkeeping side of things. Bookkeeping is something I have never been great at. And for years, my husband and I, my husband's a real estate agent and also a real estate investor. So he's always got stuff running through his business in addition to doing event marketing like me. So he's trying to learn how to do our books. I'm trying to learn how to do our books. Both of us are bad at doing our books. So <laughs> we're spending so much time trying to learn how to use something like QuickBooks when it actually would be a lot more cost effective just to have someone else do it. So we are finally heading over in that direction. I'm still working on my husband a little bit, <laughs> but that's one thing that we've handed off. And then from the personal side, I will say one thing that we handed off as of last year was mowing our lawn. So mm. we, we outsource that one now too. <laughs> Isn't it funny how you, when you set your standards, like this is my, my standard, right? I'm not going to, I'm going to learn what it is to read a P like a P and L statement. Right. But I don't have to be the one who creates the P and L statement. They can handle that stuff for me. Uh, I'll give you one. That's, that's fun for me. I went to go watch, um, Maverick, the uh, new Top Gun movie. And uh, normally when I have kids, because I have two kids, right? So when we go to the movies, it's a, like a family outing. So everything is times four, right? And so I would always go to like uh, the smaller theaters because they're least exp they're less expensive. Uh, and then they didn't want to go watch Maverick. So I went with my brother and we sat in those Dolby chairs, relax, recline. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, why isn't this my normal? Why isn't this my standard? Uh, and so, you know, I was telling my brother that he's like, well, let's make it our standard. So now like, that's it. We got our AMC a list and now we watch all our movies and that same type of thing. But it's that mentality that we have to place in ourselves, right? Like this is my standard. This is what I expect of myself. These other things, I know they got to get done, but I don't expect me to do them. These are things right. that I can hand off to somebody else. As, as an entrepreneur, I think the most successful ones are the ones who set standards and have their routines in place. What are some of the things that you do consistently on a regular basis to get you either in the mindset to move forward, to get you in the mindset to have productivity, to get you productive? Well, I definitely have some of my routines that I stick to, but being an entrepreneur and working from home too, sometimes you get distracted by those things that are coming at you. I'll give you one example of something that I did to set boundaries and to have a standard. Since my husband and I both work from home, my husband has a habit of coming up to my office space. He doesn't really have an office space. He likes to work at our dining room table and he has an office offsite when he needs it. But when he's home, he works downstairs and I have an office in the house upstairs. So he was often coming up, knocking on the door, always interrupting. And finally, I said, you can't keep doing that because I, I go live like you do. <laughs> I do live broadcasts. I, I do podcast recordings. I said, you can't do that. I went to, over to Amazon and I got a do not disturb door hanger yes. that's two-sided. <laughs> <laughs> One says he's allowed to knock. The other side says do not knock. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's not really in regards to my routine, but that's something that I did that set myself up for, all right, I need to focus on my work because I know that I am an easily distracted person. And I've had to, for some other examples, I've also had to set timers for myself on like my Facebook app. I've had to set timers for Instagram because I will just go down the rabbit hole of being on those things way longer than I need to, spending too much time on them. So if I, if I want to focus on making money, which I do, those things are not really making money in the immediate moment. 
they may help in the long run in the bigger picture, but that's going to be down the road. So they don't need as much time in the now. They just need a little bit of attention. And you have to watch that balance with, you know, what needs your attention the most now and what can you give a little or no attention to? Yeah, yeah. That I mean, I constantly post content, but sometimes you're in the middle of posting stuff and then you catch something and then boom, you're in that social media rabbit hole. Stop being a consumer. Stop being a creator. I just got to tell myself, stop consuming, create, 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 stop consuming, <laughs> create, create, create. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you have a podcast. Have you been on a lot of different podcasts? I've been on a few, but that is one goal that I've had for this year. And in learning to other sh- or listening from other shows, learning from other shows, I've heard, you know, guesting on other podcasts is something that definitely helps get more listeners to your own show. So as I've continued to produce my own content, I've realized, you know, that is something that I'm going to be focusing on in the near future is be on, being on more shows because that just helps build your name. It helps build that brand awareness. And that is something that's very important for any business owner. So let me ask you this. Now that you've been on a couple shows and you've experienced creating and consistently putting out content, what was your experience like on the Business Bros? My experience was great, actually. I loved that you had a really streamlined system. I found you on another platform and said, you know what? This stands out to me. I looked through a lot of shows to potentially guest on. And even though I know you're not a horse person, I said, this show brings a lot of energy. They talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I do talk business, even though I'm in the equestrian world. And uh, looking at your graphics, they were all on point. Your Instagram was on point. Your website was great. Those are all things that I'm looking for, not only in guests on my show, but also when I guest on another show is just making sure they have their stuff together so that people understand who they are and that it makes sense. Dude, you are so right. And and I keep I keep explaining to people that podcasting has been the best prospecting tool I've ever come across. You need to build your email database, your 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 phone numbers, addresses, all those different things. Because at the end of the day, building your social media is awesome and it's great and it gives you exposure. But at any time, they could cut you off and you can lose all of that. At least when you have a podcast and you're driving that traffic towards your own website, you're collecting name, email, and phone number. It doesn't matter who cuts you off. You have immediate connection to your following, people who jive with you, who like the stuff that you're putting together, who like the content you create, whatever it is, and it'll continue your business going forward. I heard uh, Russell Brunson say that it's a rough estimate, but whatever your email database list is at, usually you make about $1 a month for every person on your email list, roughly. So, I mean, that's a good thing to understand. Having a podcast gives you the ability to, to reach your tentacles out into the social media space, but it also allows you to grab a little bit and bring them back to yourself. Um, If if there's anything, um, because we're towards the end of time here, is there anything that maybe I didn't ask you or something that you wanted to get out to the audience before we head out? You know, I just want to emphasize that being a brand is about giving people a positive experience. So whether that experience is through listening to your podcast or coming to a networking event, we didn't get too deep into the networking events, but that hosting meetups are a great way to start reaching out and touching your audience in another way. It was hard for us during the pandemic, but there's definitely ways to do it, as I discovered by hosting Zoom calls. You can do it virtually. You don't have to do it in person. But if you are looking, or if you're looking for another way to touch your audience, think about podcasting. Think about hosting a meetup of some kind. Those are both great options. And if one's not for you, try the other. 
Oh, 100%. You, I couldn't have said it better myself. Ladies and gents, look, this is an experienced podcaster. She's already doing all the great things in her industry, having people get together in real life. I don't know about you guys, but it was like a year and a half, almost two years where you didn't really get to talk to people. Missing family, family functions and holidays. Look, people are anxious to get together, learn how to network. And by the way, do me a favor, drop by theleadlinepodcast.com, theleadlinepodcast.com and check out what Mandy's doing. She's doing some amazing things in that space and learn a little something, especially if you're considering doing a podcast. If you're in business, I urge you to start a podcast. You're going to suck at first. Right, Mandy? Like we all are not very good when we first start, but you're going to get better over time. So check out um, check out Mandy's podcast, theleadlinepodcast.com. See, go, I, I dare you, go to the very first episode, compare it to the episode she has now. <laughs> you can see. <laughs> oh, thanks. Monday, right? And I you do the same thing for any podcast. Start, yeah. look at the first one. Look, it's not as good as the one that you're doing today, but you got to start somewhere and you got to start today. So check out her podcast, theleadlinepodcast.com. Mandy, thank you very much for being on the program. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you guys again manana. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started.